Today, we're going to continue and looking at this clear call to the body of Christ. I do want to back up and catch us up on some things and bring um, us up to speed a little bit um, since probably the last time I preached. Just, just want to draw us back in to a few things. Um, today, we're just going to throw a few slides up. I'm going to run through them quickly just to r- remind those of you who've been around coming for a little while about some things we've been talking about. The first one that I want to remind you of is out of Ephesians 2.22. Um, that it says this, in him or in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Um, remember, we're being built into something. Uh, this is not just a random thing. It's not just a hodgepodge throwing together of people. We, the Bible teaches this in several places, are being built into something. We're being built into the temple of God, um, not built with mortar and brick, but built with um, people people who have been redeemed and reconciled to God through Christ so that we can begin to work in the world. Um, So we're being built together. We're being built together for a purpose. And so we talked about this, one purpose, to fill and renew the earth with people reconciled to God through Jesus. We see that from Genesis 1 all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation. We see that this is what we were created for. We've talked about this, that there's two things that need to happen, two goals that we need to strive for. Um, One is that the church grows to maturity in Christ. As we look through scripture, read the letters that Paul and Peter, James, the different people wrote, we see that this was one of the most um, talked about things in scripture. Paul would say um, to, to, in many places that his goal was to present the church mature to Christ as his bride. And so we wanna grow to maturity in Christ and then move from what we've called the pastoral or dependency model of ministry to more of a model of what we just saw um, with Tanya, where people are doing ministry. It's not, and we can look at this next slide, it's not just like the one on the left where we think that the paid professionals, the staff of the church, Um, are the ones who do ministry and we just consume it. That's not what God has in mind. He has a plan and purpose for you, a plan and purpose to use you um, to advance his kingdom in the world. And so we wanna move from this model on the left to the model on the right, where um, leaders who've been called to equip people are equipping them so that each part of the body is able to do its work, built on the foundation of Jesus. The last slide that I wanna point us to is this one of looking at this foundation. We've been talking about cracks in the foundation. I wanna be very clear, Jesus is a perfect foundation. There is no cracks in Jesus, right? He's perfect in that way, that we build our lives on him. It's a solid foundation. But sometimes the way it's been presented to us in church, there hasn't been clarity about some things. And one of the things we talked about in the very beginning was that in many cases, there's been no clear call to follow Jesus. Um, we, we are confused a little bit about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so we went through and talked about what does this clear call to follow look like? Then we went through and talked about what is fullness in Christ? What, is, what, what, what does that mean? This clear call to fullness in Jesus. What does that look like? We talked about what that looks like and how we grow into fullness in Christ. And then the one we're in now, the third one in the top right, is that many times there's been no clear call to the people of Jesus or the church. And so we don't realize that we're not saved in just into our own salvation, but we're saved and we're born into, born again into a community of believers. And so we're gonna continue talking about that. You heard um, three Sundays ago, Jordan preached and he talked about 
who we are as the church and why we exist. That we're people who've been redeemed by Christ. We exist for the purpose we talked about, to fill the earth with people who've been reconciled to God through Jesus. Then you got to hear Jason um, share his story about all that God's done in his life. Incredible, incredible, incredible. And how God's using him now in ministry. Um, what an amazing thing, right? That God uses us to do these things and how he's using Jason. Just Jason's love for the Lord is, is incredible. Absolutely amazing. And then last week, Mr. Butch talked about um, that love is essential. The Bible tells us if we don't have love, we have nothing. And he talked about that being the perfect bond of unity, this, this bond of love. And so we, we have to grow in that. We need to grow in that and have that love of God for each other. And so today, um, as I've been praying through this, what I want to talk about is a clear call to the body of Christ, but I want to talk about it from a standpoint of if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, if we're going to grow into the body of Christ that God wants us to be, listen, we've got to stand firm in truth and love. So this is a clear call to stand firm in truth and in love, okay? Um, if you have a Bible, I hope you do. If not, if you don't have one, we'll give you one. Go to the next steps. I would love for you to have a Bible if you don't have one. But if you did bring one, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to begin reading in verse 13. Now, before we do this, I want to give you a little bit of background of the scripture that we're about to read. Jesus is um, right at this point. He's teaching with a sermon on the mount is what it's called. And before the scripture we're about to read, we're going to start in verse 13. Before that, he goes through what's called the Beatitudes. And through these, um, these different teachings, he, he's really challenging the, the mindset of people who were listening to him and now people who read this in what it means to be blessed. That, that he's saying, listen, um, what you think of as blessing in the world is very different than what it looks like to be blessed in the people who are blessed in God's kingdom. And so he's showing them this and he's basically showing them how they should live and, and, and so giving them some, some guidelines and some encouragement in how they should live and really creating out of these people who have become his followers a, a new community of people who wouldn't live according to the world, but they would live according to the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom. And so he's teaching this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, especially in these Beatitudes. Now you get to verse 13 and it says this. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Before we get in, I, I want to pray um, for us. Lord, I, I do thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and your truth. God, I pray that this morning we would be awakened, awakened to your truth, that our eyes would be opened. Uh, God, even physically, mentally, emotionally, our eyes would be opened. That God, right now, if we're sitting under some sleepiness, some heaviness, God, we would awaken ourselves to hear what you had to say. 
God, I pray this wouldn't just be another time to go through motions, but God, you would speak to our hearts. You would ground us in your truth. You would encourage us to stand firm, God, in your truth and in your love, Lord. God, I thank you how you're moving, how you're gonna move. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So how many of you uh, would be willing and, and to admit, and, and not a bad thing, it's just an obvious thing, um, that right now in our culture, in our society, there's a little bit of tension. Maybe in our culture, a little tension. Anybody else sense that? You kind of have to live under a rock to not recognize that there's some tension going on in our country right now. There's a little divisiveness, right, that's happening. Um, and, and it's just a reality. How many of you have, feel that tension yourself? Like, I feel it, right? I feel it. I, I mean, you got people yelling on both sides. You got people who are loud on both sides of the aisle politically. Um, you, you've got all these voices around. And sometimes the dust gets kicked up so much that you're kind of wondering, like, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? You know, am I wrong? You know, you kind of start wondering about these things. And you can feel a pull um, to, to, to go maybe a different direction. Or you, you feel yourself, there's this tendency to want to drift away from maybe some things you've always held as true. And, and that's normal. I think we need to recognize that, that that's the reality we live in. It's just the way it is. When we read Matthew chapter five, Jesus is really in a way addressing this and, and even sort of setting it up to, to show us that there's gonna be tension. Because what he's saying is, look, if you follow me, if you follow God, if you're one of God's people, then your life is gonna be lived differently than the people who aren't followers, than people who are in the world. It's gonna be different. It should be different. And he's saying, look, if you live this way, you, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be different. He said, you're gonna be salt. He said, you're gonna go in and you're gonna have this preservative um, ability in the world. He's not telling us to back away from the world. He says, in the world, you're gonna have a preservative uh, nature in a world that's decaying. He said, you're gonna be light. You're gonna stand out in darkness so that the people who are walking in darkness, they see something different. They see hope, they see light. And he's not just talking to individuals, guys. This is, he's talking to the community. He's saying, look, you, you, as in plural, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But if you lose your saltiness, what good are you? See, the temptation in the church is that we begin to drift away from what makes us salty. We begin to give towards the, towards the pull of culture and society and the world. We begin to lose what makes us light. And see, here's the thing. If we're not light, then how can anyone in the darkness find us? How can they find any glimmer of hope if, if we're not light in darkness? And so what I want you to see is that in this, Jesus is, is telling us there are two types of communities in the world. There's the community of God and there's the community of the world. There are those who belong to God and there are those who belong to the world. He's saying these two communities exist. And here's something we don't have to debate. Both of them are going opposite directions. Now what happens, I brought a bungee cord to demonstrate this. I want you to think about this. If, if this 
is the people of God, if this is the church, and this is the culture around us in the world, and they're going in opposite directions, what does it do? It stretches, it creates what? Tension, so much that my arms are shaking, or my, my fat under my arms shaking bad. But it creates tension, why? Because we're, we're in the same world, but we're moving in different directions. It creates tension, and that tension is very real. What makes us distinct, right? If, if we're going one direction, the world's going another, what, what makes us distinct? What makes us salt? What makes us light? If we're not gonna lose our saltiness, we need to know what the salt is. If we're gonna keep the light, we need to know what makes us light. I would say, and, and I, I would say this according to what I see in scripture, and we're gonna talk about several of these scriptures in just a second. I would say that the two greatest distinctions within the church are truth and love. Truth and love. The two things that make us the most distinct out of all the other things. I believe when you look at scripture, the thing you see the most is truth and love. Think about this. When Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's talking about what he's gonna do for them. In John 13, 34 and 35, what does he tell them will distinguish them from everyone else and show others that they are his disciples? Anybody? Our love, right? This is the interactive portion. Our love. Our love. He says, listen, they're gonna know you're my disciples by my love. You're gonna be salty because of the love you have for each other. They're gonna see hope because of the love you have for each other. Why Paul talked about it as the perfect bond of unity, perfect bond of peace, loving each other. God's love working through us to love each other that the world will know we follow him by the way we love one another. So love is one of those things that makes us salty. Truth is the other thing that makes us salty. Truth is the other thing that, that, that uh, makes us light. If you think about John chapter one, verse 14, John chapter one, verse 14, the Bible tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. What is grace? Grace is God doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. Grace is the means by which we experience, grow in, and express the love of God to the world. Without grace, we would have, God's grace working in our life, we would never know. His love, God's grace sent Jesus. God's grace, the great spirit of grace opened our eyes to receive Christ. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Truth sets us apart. John 14, six, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. He brought truth to the world. When he came into the world, he was the light of the world as the truth. John 14, seven, talks about the spirit of truth. Ephesians 4, 15, that we are to speak to each other um, with truth and love, right? That's how we are to speak to one another, in truth and in love. John 8, 32, the 
what sets us free? Truth sets us free. Two very distinguishing um, things that the church has. The love of God and love for each other that should exist and the truth of God's word. But that's part of what creates the tension. Because listen, take, take the culture out of it for a second as far as the pull of that. Even within our own minds in the church, listen, in our own minds in the church, we think that truth and love many times are opposed to each other. And that is not true. Truth and love are one and the same. It is because of the truth that we know what love is. It is because of the truth, Jesus, that we can see God's love. It's because of the truth, Jesus, that we can come into God's love. It's because of the truth of Jesus that we can experience God's love. All of this, truth and love go hand in hand. The greatest display of God's love is in his truth. But in our minds, I hear it sometimes like it's good cop, bad cop. Like we go into situations like, all right, you be love, I'll be truth. It's like, you punch them in the face and then I'm gonna wipe the blood up, you know? And it's not, it's, it's one and the same. It's truth and love. The truth shows us God's love. It's through the truth that we come into God's love. It's one and the same thing. But even in our minds, many times, we think that somehow truth and love are intention, but they're not. And when we look at the culture around us and the world around us, the, there's a tension of truth and love in our culture, but I want, it, I want you to see this a little differently. The tension with truth, listen, the tension with truth comes from an attempt to get rid of it. The tension with truth comes from an attempt to get rid of it, to eradicate it. Because until we are rid of truth, of any absolute truth, as long as truth exists, my complete autonomy, my independence, and what I think of as freedom cannot exist. I'll say it again because I want you to get this. As long as truth exists, then my autonomy, my independence, what I think of freedom does not exist, cannot exist. And so the goal in our culture is that if we can escape truth, if we can make everything relative, if we can just make our opinions truth, then, then we can find freedom. And in freedom that we can do whatever we want, uninhibited, I am my own God, all that I do is right because there is no truth to say it is wrong, then I will find freedom. But if you look around our culture today, would you say people are more free, more happy, more joyful than they've ever been? Absolutely not. Depression, anxiety, fear, all of these things are at an all-time high. The more we try to free ourselves from truth and love that God gives, the more we imprison ourselves in our own walls. The Bible tells us that truth sets us free. And truth sets us free. Listen, it, it does that by opening our eyes to so many things, uh, the way of salvation, the way to be reconciled to God, the, the purpose for my life, 
who I am, why I was created, um, who I am in Christ and the fullness of what he offers me. Freedom comes, listen, not so that I can do everything I want to do, but so that I can do everything I was created to do. That's when freedom is, it's when joy comes. But the, the culture tries to pull us away, try to eradicate truth so that it can become autonomous. We can become autonomous, independent. That I can become my own God. But listen, to think that we can eradicate truth is a great deception. Because the truth is truth whether we accept it and believe it or not. To say that there's no absolute truth is making a statement of truth. So there has to be absolute truth. There's no way around it. And to think, listen, to think, and this is, I want you to hear this word, to think that we can eradicate truth, get rid of truth, is a great deception. To think that we can become our own God is a great deception. So the tension with truth comes from an attempt to get rid of it. We say we have truth, but the world around us is saying there is no truth. The only thing that's true is what you feel. The only thing that's true is what you want. The only thing that's true is, is what makes you happy. It's a great deception. The tension with love, listen, the tension with love comes from its counterfeit called tolerance. At nine, and kind of like 11, 10, but at nine, you feel like the, the air sucked out of the room. But the counterfeit of love is tolerance. Tolerance and love are not the same thing, people. But sometimes we, we think it is. We think we can't tell truth and be loving at the same time. But see, tolerance refuses to acknowledge sin even when sin hurts that person or hurts other people around them. Tolerance does not acknowledge that, 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 that sin. When you look at this, tolerance puts feelings ahead of one's welfare. To tolerance normalizes brokenness rather than seeking to heal it. Listen, I'm talking about standing firm in truth and love. This is not to come across as, as angry or mad, not at all. Passionate, yes. Not angry, not mad. I think I just have a spiritual gift of people thinking I'm ticked off every time I talk. That is not the case. Passionate, yes. Angry, mad, no. But there's tension in this because we, 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 we feel people's feelings and, and so we want to um, acknowledge those feelings and, and the best way we feel to acknowledge that and to love them is to normalize the behavior. But if we just normalize behavior, we don't ever enter into the brokenness to help them become whole. Does that make sense? So we just normalize it. Just do what you feel, man. You're good. You're okay. Really? When we look around the world today and, and especially in our own country, are things okay? And people are in our country right now are doing what they feel more than anything. We have this thing that if I can just do what I feel, then man, I'll find freedom. I'll find acceptance. And here's the thing. When people begin to do that and they go down that path, they get to a place where they realize that doesn't work. See, love, this is the difference. 
Tolerance normalizes brokenness rather than seeking to heal it. Love seeks to heal our brokenness by getting into the brokenness with someone else. We enter into the brokenness to help them become whole rather than just saying, well, you're okay. I mean, yeah, you're broken. I'm broken. We're all broken, but we'll just be broken together. So the tension with truth and trying to eradicate truth, thinking we can eradicate truth is a great deception. Tolerance is a counterfeit of love. So when we think about that, who operates in deceptions and counterfeits? Satan. The, the pattern of this world, listen, the pattern of this world is founded on deceptions and counterfeits. That's what it is built on from the beginning from the first sin that caused the fall and the marring of this world. It was built on deception and counterfeits. And I heard someone say this the other day. I thought it was incredible. I want to repeat it. They said, we need God's word to understand God's world. In a world full of counterfeits and deception, the only way we're gonna make heads or tails out of it is the very thing that the world would like to eradicate, and that is truth. Here's the thing I would tell you, and I hope this would be somewhat of an encouragement to you. This tension is not new. This tension has existed forever. And I'm not gonna read these passages because we won't have time, but I wanna tell you these. You can go back and read them later. This tension is not new. In fact, Paul, the apostle Paul, wrote about this in his letters quite a lot, telling people to stand firm. If you go to 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul tells them, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Galatians 5, 1, he tells them not to give up their freedom, but to stand firm in faith. Philippians 1, 27, the same thing, stand firm. 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, stand firm. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, stand firm. Ephesians 6, 10 through 14, he says, when you've done all, stand, and then stand firm. And he says, stand firm with the belt of what? Buckled around your waist. Truth. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Galatians 5, 1, Philippians 1, 27, 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. If you go through any book or any of the letters in uh, the New Testament, you will find similar language in every one of them. Why did Paul so often say, stand firm in the faith? Why did he say it? Because this existed. In every church, at every time, this existed. This is not a new thing. This has always been. This has always been because there have been two communities, the community of God and the community of the world that are going opposite directions that cause tension. So then if it's not new, we ought to be able to look to scripture and see how we deal with this. And I wanna spend the last 10 minutes that we have going through these quickly. 
So it's not new. So how do we stand in it? The first one I'm going to tell you is important because the other, the other ones I'm going to give you really operate in the context of this first one, okay? They operate individually, but they're most um, powerful in the context of this one. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. You got to go through all the Gospels and Romans, the Corinthian letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go through all those. You'll finally come. Keep going and you'll come to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read to you verses 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through this curtain. I want you to understand these are extremely persecuted people that he's writing to, people who have been beaten up um, by, by the world around them, the people who many have died for their faith around them. These are very persecuted people. He says, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So he says, now that we know we can come to God through Christ, so we have sincerity of heart, let's draw near to him. He says in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. There it is again. Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And listen to this one. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When we look at this, the first one I wanna tell you, and how do we live in this tension? How do we stand firm in truth and love in this tension? We don't forsake gathering. We don't forsake the community. We don't forsake the worship. We don't forsake the word. We don't forsake the praying together, whether it's in a big group like this, a little group like a small group or a connect group, a group of one or two or three or whatever it might be. We don't forsake the gathering. Why? So we can encourage one another. He knows these people are going through hell on earth. And he's saying, I know this. I know it would be easier for you if you didn't gather together. I know it would be easier if you stayed separated because there's less chance that they find you out. But here's the thing. Don't stop gathering together. You need each other. If you're going to stand firm in the tension of this world and you're not going to cave and you're not going to give, then you need the encouragement of other people who are going the same direction you are going. You need the encouragement of other people to, to remind you of truths, to, to share and experience God's love. The second one, I'm going to call this one, I told you so. How many parents have ever used that with their children? Any? Me too. How many of you took a little bit of joy in it? Me too. Right? Because you're like, I told you so. And in your mind, you're going, I'm not as big of an idiot as you think I am. Right? And so I told you so. Well, guess what? Jesus told us it was going to be this way. Jesus told us there was going to be tension. John 16, 33. Anybody remember what that says? John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have what? Trouble. 
But take heart for what? I've overcome the world. He tells us, he's telling us these things so that we can have peace in this world. He told us so. He told us. We should be able to draw some strength from that. This isn't surprising God. God's not shocked by this. He's known it all along. He's not up there trying to come up with plan B. God has no, there's no plan B. God knows. He's not biting his nails trying to figure out how are we gonna overcome this? Paul says the same thing. He, he talks about this in his letters to Timothy, how the world's just, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. He's saying, but you stand firm. The biblical writers, they told us this was coming. They told us this would happen. They experienced it themselves. Jesus even said, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. He told us so. The third one, so gathering together, I told you so. The third one, trace the fruit back to its root. Let's go to the left now in your Bible. Go back to the left and go to the book of Colossians. Colossians. The book of Colossians was written to refute a heresy that was coming up in the churches or in and around Colossae. People debate what that heresy was, but Paul was writing to them so that they wouldn't move away from the gospel. Listen to what he tells them. I wanna read verse, uh, beginning in chapter one, verse three in Colossians. It says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard. Listen, about which you have already heard. He's thanking God for their faith, their love, and this hope that stored up for them in heaven. But where did it come from? The, 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 the message they'd already heard. He says, in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. What's he saying? What's been produced in you? This faith, this love, this hope, it came from the gospel you heard. So don't go to some other gospel. Remember the root that produced the fruit of what you're living in. It wasn't this heresy over here. It was the truth of what we preached to you about Jesus. Trace the root back to the fruit. It wasn't the culture that gave us life in Christ. It wasn't the culture that took us from death to life. It was the truth of God's word that produced that fruit in us. He goes on and he tells us in the same way, the gospel, this gospel that Paul preached, this good news that Paul preached is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. He said, listen, it's not just bearing fruit among you. This message, this gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Why would you turn to something else? It produced this fruit in you. It's producing this fruit around the world. Why are you turning from this? Why would you turn from this? He wants them to see this. We trace it back. I, I'm gonna stand firm in the tension because I know where my life comes from. I know where the love comes from, the faith, the hope. The next one, remember who's greater. I'm not gonna read it. It's real wordy anyway, but I'd, I'd love for you to go back and read it on your own. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. In this, it's, it's really a poem that, that Paul wrote. 
And, and the whole thing, now that he's shown them and talked about the fruit of the gospel and encouraging them not to stray from it, he goes in and he starts talking about how um, superior Jesus is to everything in all creation. He says he's the firstborn in rank. He's the firstborn in power. He's the firstborn in everything. All things were created through him. He's the creator, not the creation. And when we think about this, we need to remember, number four, who's greater? One, gathering together. Two, I told you so. Three, trace the fruit back to the root. Four, remember who's greater. Paul is writing this saying, don't go after something else. You've already got the greatest. You've already got the supreme. You've already got the perfect one. Why would you go after something else? Why would you go after one that's lesser? Why would you follow a man and his opinion versus God and his truth and love? Remember who's greater. Number five, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Paul tells Timothy to do this in 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. He says, stand firm, fight the good fight. Fight the fight of faith. Paul says this about himself in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. As he's about to die, he knows his end is near. He knows he's about to die. He says, listen, I have fought the good fight. I fought the good fight, but fighting the good fight, standing firm in truth and love in the tension of the world. But what does that look like? I want you to hear this. If you've zoned out, kind of lean in because this is important for everybody. In our culture today, in the chaos, in our culture where the people who are supposed to be leaders act like four-year-olds who don't get their way. They pitch temper tantrums, yell at each other, and call each other's names. That doesn't sound like a grown man or woman. That sounds like a four-year-old. My kids did that when they were little. And in that climate, we need to understand how we fight as Christians. As Christians, we don't fight by becoming louder. I preach loud. I'm not angry. I promise. Remember that every Sunday, he's not mad. He loves me. He loves God. He's not mean. He's a good guy. I'm not mad. I'm loud. But it's because I know what the glove of God can do in somebody. See, we don't become louder. We become more loving. We don't fight with weapons that are fleshly, carnal, physical, the Bible says we have weapons that are spiritual in nature with divine power to pull down strongholds, to pull down inaccurate ways of thinking, to demolish every argument that sets itself up against the truth of Jesus. We fight by loving. We fight, listen, we fight by entering into the brokenness of people with God's love. Here's the thing that I've realized. Hate, which we see a lot of in our country, hate oftentimes comes from a place of fear. It comes from a place of fear. And right now, the fear in our country on both sides of the aisle, I don't care if you're a donkey or an elephant, the hate is brewed by a lot of fear. And that fear is driven in many ways by a fear of losing. If I lose, what is going to happen? But see, here's where we ought to be the saltiest. 
We don't lose. We don't have to hate because we don't have to fear because in the end, we win. The truth of God is the truth whether we admit it or not. We don't have to yell, it's the truth. Why? Because it is. It just is. I don't have to stomp around like a four-year-old. I can even love Democrats. Some of y'all, y'all need to hear that. God's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He didn't call you to be a Republican. He didn't call you to be it. He called you to be his. I'm not saying you can't have political opinions. I'm not saying we shouldn't fight for things um, in our society. Not saying that, but I'm telling you this. My greatest allegiance is not to the kingdom of this earth. It's to the kingdom of heaven. And we don't have to fear the loss. He's supreme. He wins. In the end, listen, here's how it frees us. You want to know how it, the truth sets you free one way? It frees us to enter into the brokenness of the world, not to keep backing up and yelling louder because we're afraid we're going to lose if we get involved in somebody's life. We can enter into the brokenness knowing that I don't have to scream louder because I'm not, I'm not going to lose. I can enter into this brokenness. I can share the love of God. I don't have to be afraid. I got to remember I have what they need. I don't have to run away and yell over my shoulder. I don't have to act like a four-year-old not getting his way. I know we win. God is going to build his church through those faithful followers. We're going to face adversity. We're going to live in the tension. But in it all, we can have peace. We can have joy. We can have love. We can share love. We can receive love. We can go to broken people who need love without fear that somehow their brokenness is going to jump on me. We, we've got a God who says that what is in us is greater than what's in the world. And I can live with love and confidence and truth. You don't agree with me? That's okay. That's okay. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to speak my own opinion. I'm just telling you what the truth says. Well, you're narrow-minded. Okay. Love you. Well, you're a bigot. Okay. Love you. I mean, it just is. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's truth never will. I want to encourage you that in a crazy, crazy, crazy world, we don't have to be afraid. In a crazy world, we have God's word to help us make sense of the craziness. And I want to pray for us before we go. We're going to get out of here. I want to pray for us that God will continue to grow us in truth and in love. Father, I do thank you for that. I thank you that you are both truth, you are both love. We, we receive both through your grace, Lord, and I thank you for that. 
that I pray that we would not be people who walk in fear and hate, but that we would be people who are grounded in your truth. And because of that, we have the confidence of being your children and we can love those who are broken, that we can realize our own brokenness and not somehow think we're better than the broken around us. Lord, we love you and thank you that your spirit is in us, that he is greater than he who's in the world. And I pray that through our worship of you, our reading of your word, our praying, our, our, our drawing near to you, God, that the spirit that is in us would be fanned into a huge flame. And that God, that, that flame would emit the love and truth that's found only in Christ. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.